Hello, I'm Emma Jane Purcell and welcome back to Fail Harder, the podcast that chats to people at the top of their game about failure, from the first memory of failure to how they cope with it now. So Fail Harder is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, who have recently launched a very exciting community called Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus basically gives you access to loads of bonus content from your favourite Headstuff podcasts, including fail harder it is as little as a fiver a month and that money is going to help and support those podcasts and podcasters so check it out joining me on fail harder today i have the amazing louise o'neill louise is the best-selling award-winning author of five novels including asking for it the new york times called asking for it riveting and essential and it won several awards including book of the year at the 2015 irish book awards Louise also hosted the RTE2 documentary Asking For It, Reality Bites, and the book was adapted for stage and went on to a sold-out run at the Abbey Theatre. Her latest novel, After the Silence, recently won Crime Novel of the Year at the On Post Irish Book Awards. But today, Louise is not here to talk about success, she's here to talk about failure. Welcome to Fail Harder. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm delighted you're here because I actually genuinely am such a huge fan of your books. And I finished After the Silence recently and I was just like shell shocked after it. it was just brilliant. So oh, huge congrats. You. Really, oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was quite strange, I suppose, um, publishing a book um, in the middle of a pandemic. You know, it's my fifth novel, but the first one that I've done in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, mm. And... You know, I think actually it was it was interesting, I suppose, even in the context of this um, of this podcast, because I'm someone I think I'm a bit of a control freak um, and I like to feel, I don't know, as if I can sort of just really very tightly hold on to, I suppose, um, elements of the publishing process that maybe, you know, in hindsight, I, I really shouldn't have even attempted to do so. Mm. Um, and I think what was really interesting with After the Silence was that like I I had I just kind of felt like look I can't control any of this you know I have no idea if when the book is published if it's going to be coming out when the bookshops are closed and, and in a strange way it was actually the calmest I've ever felt because I wasn't tied to it, its success or its failure because mm-hmm. I really felt like it's going to just do whatever it, it can do and in this year of all years, I just have to let go. Um, and so it was really strange thinking that this has probably been the easiest, the most comfortable um, and the least stressful uh, experience um, of publishing a book of all five of them, because usually I'm really nervous, whereas with this one, I just was like, mm. Where did you get the idea for writing it? Um, I mean, I suppose it was a few different strands, um, you know, so it um, after the silence um, is set on a small island off the coast um, of Cork called Inishroon, um, and the, this very wealthy family called the Kinsellas have set up um, a, an artist retreat centre there. Um, and the youngest Kinsella son, Henry, marries a local woman called Keelan, um, and it's at Keelan's 36th birthday party that this wild storm engulfs the island, completely shutting it off from the mainland. Um, and the next day, the body of a young woman is found. 
so no one can get on the island and no one can get off the island. So it has to have been someone there who did it. Um, and I suppose most of the book takes place 10 years after that, when this team of documentary makers have arrived to the island. You know, I suppose determined to sort of solve um, this notorious um, unsolved murder. Um, and I think the main inspiration really um, was that I was listening to the West Cork podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you have listened to that. I actually it, haven't, but I it's on my list. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and I, I suppose I'm from West Cork um, and, you know, I was a child when um, Sophie Tuscan uh, de Plante was murdered. And I suppose it just had such a massive impact on me at the time. I think, you know, particularly growing up in an area like uh, West Cork, which is so, which, you know, which I would have considered, particularly in the 90s, to be very safe. Mm. Um, and, you know, we didn't lock our doors. And, you know, as children, we were sort of afforded this uh, incredible amount of freedom. Um, so I suppose to see something like that kind of encroaching upon our world was was really frightening, actually. Um, so I think when I heard about this podcast, um, I just couldn't wait um, to listen to it. Um, and I think afterwards, actually, what struck me most about it was, I suppose, the idea of like the foreigner and the blow in and, you know, the, the Sassanuk, you know, that idea of sort of the, the Englishman. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think this, the, the idea of this team of documentary makers coming into a very small, closely knit community, um, trying to uncover secrets that maybe some people don't want to be uncovered, just seemed like sort of ripe for um, narrative exploration and um, so I think the seed of um, after the silence was taken from that and then you know the thing is with with like writing a book is that you'll start with a very small idea like that and then it just sort of accumulates all of these other strands and you know you, you read something else or you are listening to something else and you think oh that's interesting and, and then it just all seems to come together and it's quite messy for a draft and then it's you know trying to make something readable uh, out of that hmm. and I won't get into the creation process because I could be here for hours and it's probably very dull to, <laughs> to other people. I do want to ask you though I always wanted to ask like people who write books this question but like after you've written the book and it's out and it's been out for a while and it's you know well received and stuff what do you do after that like is it like okay what what will I write in my next book is it a weird kind of a come down like I know for like because you know for me I did acting for a long time and there's always like that like real heightened thing where you're all working together and it's a lot of like hard work and then it's out there and it's being received but then there's this like massive kind of come down when it's all over I'm just wondering is it like the same for you or how do you find that time um I understand that feeling I I I think it depends like with asking for it which was my second novel like that was just such a like I suppose that took off in such a way, you know, um, and I think was sort of had this really large cultural sort of footprint and societal footprint that actually I had very little to do with, mm. you know, that I had I had told a story and it had come out at the right time and sort of, you know, maybe captured a little bit of the zeitgeist and, and people, people took it and ran with it. And I suppose it started conversations and it became a lot bigger than me and even the book itself. Mm. Um, so with that, I think when you're in the eye of that kind of storm, which doesn't always happen, actually very rarely happens. Um, and it, it's so much about luck and timing and word of mouth and things that are completely beyond your control. Um, so when something like that kind of takes off, I felt an enormous amount of pressure um, and actually really struggled to get back to my laptop, really struggled to sort of 
you know, get back to the page. And I think a lot of that was a fear of failure, which is, you know, very yeah. apt for, for what we're talking about now. Um, because before I suppose there'd been such a freedom with it in that, you know, I wrote my first book um, only over yours and obviously I didn't have a publishing deal and, you know, it was, you know, just me and the story and I had no idea if it was ever going to be published. I had no idea what was going to happen with it. Um, so you kind of, there's a freedom with that because it's it feels smaller in that if you fail it's only your own failure mm. um and then I suppose my asking for which was the second novel I had actually written the first draft of that before only ever yours had even come out so for the first two books I sort of had this I suppose the solitude um and was able to lock myself away and just be at home and and just write the stories that I wanted to write without the burden of other people's expectations or um or, or I suppose even my own expectations of what success or failure would look like um because this was really up until that point I'd only kind of imagined just getting published um mm. so I think after asking for it which was a difficult book to write anyway um you know the subject matter is is you know about sexual assault and, and and rape and things and um and victim blaming and you know so much of it was quite personal and you know so it took an enormous amount from me mm-hmm. so I, I was sort of reluctant maybe on that level to sort of go back writing as well but I think another part of me felt under pressure to create and asking for a part two if you know what I mean like and and also as an artist really not wanting to do that yeah like really yeah. feeling very fearful of if I write another book that is quote unquote sort of like taken as you know an issues novel because I don't think that's what I write but that the that I would get sort of pigeonholed and that's what people would expect um and wanting to kind of you know subvert that um with uh the, with the next book um and actually I think what the next book which was um almost love I think what that really taught me was that I really loved that book um and it it was again this was quite personal but I, I I felt like it was tapping into something and you know the reviews were a bit more were more mixed than I had been used to but up until that point it had been sort of you know unanimous and kind of you know and I think you are a bit like oh you know this is just what this is just what happens yeah and, and then I, yeah. I think it was a bit of a shock almost to be like oh right okay um and actually what it really taught me which has been so helpful since is that not to get too caught up with will this book succeed and will this book fail and what really does that even mean but actually the whole point of why I wanted to become a writer was because of the work itself and how the work itself makes me feel and the process of sitting down every day and and, and being with the project and sort of the ideas are coming and I'm waiting through them and I'm I'm I'm, I'm seeing something sort of form and, and and the flow getting into the flow of that and like how that feels like magic that actually the more that I can kind of bring it back to that, the healthier it feels. Um, So I think that what I've really learned and actually what has been handy with After the Silence was that, you know, I didn't even read reviews. Like, I just was like, I'm going to let the book go out, do its thing, and I'm just going to start working again. Wow, wow. reviews, that is. No, um, like I was sent, like they would send me short reviews and I was like, grand. And then like they would say, there's a long review in the Times. And I was like, no, I just don't want to read it because... I felt like I I, I suppose it, I I mean I'm really when I, in the editing process like I'm really 
open to criticism and I want quite robust criticism like I, I'm I'm very collaborative and I enjoy like quite a thorough editing like I'm not precious about my work but I feel like once it's published I can change it so if an editor or if a reviewer is like I really thought the third act was weak or I didn't like this character I'm like well I, I can't go back in time I literally cannot mm-hmm. do anything about this um and I just think it's healthier for me to just sort of let the work stand on its own, do the publicity, and then just protect myself in a way, I think, by kind of retreating. And it's been so interesting with After the Silence because I just got word that I think it's back at number three um, in the charts. And I was like, God, it's so weird because I just really didn't attach, get attached to like the outcome with it and just got back to work. Not really helped with that kind of sense of, the fear and the emptiness, which I think you feel after the end of a project, because you know this is because uh, I used to do acting as well, and it's like y- there's that moment at the beginning of the project where you have you you have no idea how it's going to come together. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, how is this going to be ready? How is this play going to work? How is this book going to be written? And then it somehow just happens, or you know, you you push through it. And I think that afterwards, it's the fear again, you know, of but maybe the next time I won't be able to do it or maybe you know I, I won't be able to act anymore I won't be able to write anymore and it's kind of I think the more you can push through that through that and the earlier the better yeah I'm so sorry that was such a long-winded answer no, great. <laughs> I, I tend to kind of go on and on so I'm sorry Emma Jane we should probably start the format because I'll keep yeah, sorry. All day. so I'll explain it before we begin so I have 20 questions in front of me numbered at random most are straightforward however some are a little bit unconventional and in the spirit of failure and trying to assert control over what life throws at us you can pick the numbers um okay number six number six. Oh, this is very actually a good question to start I think I always say that though <laughs> <laughs> no matter what it is you're like great question like it's just meant to be um so question number six, what was your biggest 2020 failure? Oh, wow. That's interesting. What was my biggest 2020 failure? Um, God, this year was a tough one. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting because I suppose the my greatest failure was probably turned out to be the best thing that happened um you know my boyfriend and I um, are in a long distance uh, relationship um we've always from the very beginning you know I was living in Cork and he was living in Dublin mm. and obviously that was fine because most of the time we just saw each other and um, every weekend and that was totally grand and um, and I think that this year has been really difficult because he's a journalist so it, you know his job is very demanding so at the start of 2020 he was working on the election um and I think we were like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, we'll from February on, we'll get to see loads of each other. <laughs> anyway, um, so it was about, I think, four months um, during the first lockdown. Um, and I think my greatest failure was not to, I, I don't think I connected with him enough. I think that I was very consumed by my own fear and my own sort of just existential crisis I suppose you know with just the, the state of the world and just like it was really hard this was not to absorb kind of the anxiety and I was really worried about people and and I think that I didn't make as much of an effort as I probably should have to really tune into his worries and his concerns and you know his um 
family are, you know, immunocompromised. And, and obviously, you know, with the sort of jobs, you know, the work that he's doing is very much sort of on the front line of that as well. And I don't think I was as supportive as I could have been. And I think it really put a strain um, on our relationship. And, you know, it came to a point where, you know, I was really worried that we weren't going to make it. Um, and I think that, again, what could have been, you know, something really would, would have been very personally devastating. I think we were able to sort of turn it around and really just look at our relationship and sort of make decisions around how we wanted our relationship to look like mm. and how we wanted to connect and stay connected and to really prioritize each other. Um, and I think, interestingly, I think we're probably closer um, and stronger now um, as a couple than we have ever been. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think it was just a real lesson um, to just, I suppose, you know, to prioritize the people um, that are important um, and just to make sure that they feel, I don't know, that they feel appreciated and that they feel valued. Um, and um, so that I think was a real, um, a real lesson. Um, but other than that, like, I, you know, it's interesting because I don't know if I think in other ways that I have failed, you know, um, mm. and not because, you know, at the start of the pandemic, if you had said, you won't learn a language and you won't, you know, learn how to play the piano or whatever. <laughs> I would have been like, God, I really failed to use that time um, efficiently. But now I sort of feel like as long as you have gotten through this, mm-hmm. um, you know, as long as you uh, are as mentally and physically well um, as you possibly can be, um, given the circumstances, um, I don't think you can count 2020 as a failure. Absolutely. And that's so tough that you're long distance. And then obviously, yeah, like that is, yeah. you know, not being able to see each other. And like I was actually only speaking to a friend yesterday about um kind of trying to keep up friendships and stuff now like I've obviously you know I'm in London now I only move I actually moved to London back in January and then I had to come home and Mm. all of that but I mean I wouldn't be seeing anybody anyways but like I find like WhatsApp groups and things like that like that's kind of how I'm keeping up my friendships and recently I've realized I'm not actually like WhatsApp groups are kind of making me a little bit anxious because you know, in a WhatsApp group, you might write, you might write in something and like nobody might reply for five hours. And I'm the same, like loads of times I'm busy and I don't reply to people. That's just the way they are. And like, you're not actually getting to like experience friendships, you know, in the the way we used to. So it's all like trying to keep this up virtually. And it's, it's actually really tough because you're not actually enjoying yeah the good parts of being friends really yeah you know, I get me? yeah it's, it's I think everyone has like a certain amount of zoom fatigue um mm. at this point you know um and it's funny because I do quite a lot of work you know with like podcasts or events or you know whatever online and then sometimes if a fr- in a, my groups are my group of friends are like oh let's do a zoom I'm like oh I can't like I've, I've done enough <laughs> for work I just I'm sorry and then you feel really bad because you think god I really should be prioritizing like the people that I love over like I don't know doing an event with Waterstones or whatever you know actually my friends have all we've all just given up on zooms we were so <laughs> good at the start you know we'd have like Friday night zoom and now we're like no <laughs> no I'm sorry Sorry. I love you but no Mm. and do you live alone or do you live with other people no I have my own place but I'm very close I'm like I'm right next door to my um, parents and so I have my I I, uh, adopted Richard and I um, adopted um, a little corgi collie um, uh, 
yeah he's very cute and so he which is really handy actually being next door because he barks a lot so I was thinking with the podcast I was like I should have better drop him in to mom and dad <laughs> so it's actually been really nice kind of you know having my own space but also being uh, close enough that I can that I can see them and you know um so it has been it's been it's actually been really nice it's funny I I, I spent a lot more time with them um during all of this than I ordinarily would um, and I really have actually really treasured um that I suppose just just being able to do that um because mm-hmm. I've always been so busy with work and traveling and then you know with Richard and you know I'm um, traveling up to Dublin um so it's been really lovely I suppose to just have that kind of quality time with them and is Cork somewhere you see yourself living long term or do you, do you kind of have that attachment to home or are you open I mean, to whatever it's interesting because you know I I never thought I would um I never thought I would end up here you know um I just like I suppose when I moved to Dublin for college and then I moved to New York um and I came home and I had sort of planned to move to London um and then I think I just found that for writing that West Cork was really I just felt really creatively inspired here Mm. um and I don't know you know I've I've gone back to Dublin and sort of lived there in between and it's just never it just hasn't held the same sort of appeal for me um but obviously I think that given the last number um of months it, it, it I have felt like I should probably move closer to where Richard is because his job is obviously very Dublin-centric. Um, mm. Sorry, Richard's my um, partner. Um, and But, you know, I have my little house here and I, I really love it. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We, I don't want to make any promises here, Emma Jane, okay? I know. <laughs> it's so hard. Like, I'm from a really small town as well in Tipperary. And, you know, I lived in Dublin. And then I went back to... Or so I went to London then I was back in Tipperary for six months during lockdown now I'm back in London and like there's just so many elements that I love about both like I you know I really do love like so much about the countryside and you know yeah. there's just like a lot of nice freedom there and then but like there is a, something about when you're young about being in the city as well yeah you know, like, yeah yeah no for sure um yeah stay there stay there enjoy it I will I will when this is all over anyways we shall move on what number would you like next uh number three number three okay how do you cope with failure oh god um not very well um I have to say and I I hope I'm getting better like I think I suppose before I started writing I really had to confront my fear of failure um because I think that I had really looked at it and realized that there have been so many things that I had really wanted to do and hadn't done them because I was afraid of failing. And I think that probably set in pretty young and um, where there was this fear of getting things wrong um, and kind of always wanting, you know, I, I've talked a lot about um, having had a, an eating disorder and actually, you know, look, I suppose I've been in therapy for years for it. And I suppose when you, when you, when you've done all that work, you can sort of see, oh, as a child, I was very afraid of getting things wrong. And I kind of wanted it to be perfect. And I wanted to be sort of beyond reproach and beyond criticism. Um, mm. And I think, you know, you try and keep yourself safe in certain ways so that like, uh, you know, that I wouldn't try, you know, if I really wanted something or if I was really, attracted to someone or you know anything I, I think I wouldn't have wanted to put myself in a position where that I 
wouldn't have achieved what I wanted. Um, mm. because I was, a, I think that the idea of failing in that way felt so overwhelming that I, like, it was like this really primal feeling of I won't survive it, which sounds I mean, incredibly dramatic and is obviously like, you know, factually incorrect. Yeah. Um, it just was this real primal fear. Mm. So, you know, I really wanted to be an actress um, and uh, like that was the only thing I wanted to be. Um, and I think so much of that was, you know, like going to auditions and, you know, not getting them. And, and then did, just did this- you did you actually try like try working as a professional? No, I mean, I think, you know, I like all like as a child and sort of all the way into um, adolescence, like I was doing a lot of theatre. Um, and then I think it was funny, my parents were really keen for me to which is so it was such the opposite of what most people would say like my parents were really keen for me to go to drama school oh and really <laughs> like please don't you know and they were like no you definitely do this you know you love this and um and I was like no I think I'm going to do English um you know it's a safer like, oh that's so funny that's just like the opposite so of me like, 18 year old it's like oh my god come on um, <laughs> and, it's more sensible um and uh yeah so I and I think and I remember going to um but they they were really like look okay but try out for players and you know like get involved and I was like okay and I, I, I remember going for an audition and and like it just went really you know I just knew how like it had gone really badly and like I was so nervous um and I suppose I was really what you know I was, I was in Trinity I was from the country I didn't know Dublin at all hadn't didn't know anyone but was also the sort of the sort of teenager who wouldn't admit I'm struggling and I'm finding this really hard mm-hmm. um and you know I suppose the veneer of like wanting to seem perfect and wanting to seem like I wasn't failing in any way was very strong um and so I went for this audition and went really badly and I left and it was just this complete sense of like, I'm not good enough. Like there's intrinsically something wrong with me. Um, you know, I can't let other people see this. And just this real sense of like just emptiness. Um, and it was the last time, so fun. I never did anything after that. Um, and like, it's so sad when I look back because I loved it so much. Mm. Like, you know, and even like, it wouldn't have mattered I probably would never have become a professional actress but like I should have I should have joined players I should have kept doing it as a hobby I just loved it like it was the it was just the only time where I ever felt free where I ever felt just completely like I mean I think anyone who who, you know I think when it's you know that sense when you're on stage and it's going well and you really just feel like you've sort of and sometimes the writing has that as well, where you're in flow and it's just coming and you're almost yeah, like... Blind Boy always talks about flow. I mean, I don't know if you listen to Blind yeah. Boy's podcast. He's always like flow. And I'm like, I get, I get what he means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think people who are... And, and even like um, sports people, you know, sports people, athletes. I'm sorry, I'm not into sports, but you know, like my dad would play, my dad would play a lot of uh, Gaelic football and he would have used that as well. He's like, you know, that, that the days where it's just like, you're not thinking. You're not thinking, you're just doing it and it just completely comes so naturally. Um, so yeah, so I think it was just this fear of, it was, as I said, failure, but also I think it's just that fear of not being good enough. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I think that I really, I wish, um, I wish that I had been better at dealing with, you know, if I had been, 
you know, it's interesting. Sorry, because my dad really wanted me to do um, uh, team sports. And I I remember very trying playing camogie and being so afraid that I was going to make a mistake and let everybody else down. Mm. So it was really like not wanting anyone to pass the ball to me or, you know, anything like that. Because I kept thinking, you know, at least if I'm like, I did a lot of swimming and I always felt with that, that like, at least I would only be letting myself down. Whereas, and it, I mean, they should have definitely interrogated us. That should have sent me to a therapist at a very young age. But um, there were, and I think actually, if I had maybe played more sports, you know, I think maybe it would have helped because obviously, if you fail, you just have to get up and you have to keep going. Mm. Whereas, I think for me, it just felt like this kind of body blow. And um, and I suppose, as a, and actually, what was interesting as an adult is that like one of sometimes like the greatest failures that I've had have actually afforded me the greatest freedom. Um, because you you lose the fear and the fear of failure is so paralyzing that it doesn't let like you you just don't do anything like you don't start you don't try you don't take risks um and you're just sort of in this like state of just stasis where you you don't move at all Mm -hmm. um and I think that once you once you actually fail and you can you recover from it you realize that it's not that bad, you know, that yeah. I'm not going to die, that I am able to sort of get up and and, and move forward and continue. Um, and I think a lot of it, I suppose, you know, is to do with self-soothing and, mm. and to really, you know, when you do fail, like, you know, I think a lot of, um, a lot of therapists now say that like the idea of self-compassion is much more important than self-esteem, that for years we've been talking about how important it is for children to have high self-esteem. But actually, self-esteem is very, I suppose it's very predicated on external factors. You know, it's a predicated on like doing well in school or, you know, getting the audition or um, getting the book published or getting the good review. Whereas actually self-compassion is like an ability to be kind to yourself under any circumstances. You know, if you're sick, if you've if you've made a mistake, if you've if you've hurt yourself, if you've hurt someone else or if you have failed terribly that you're still able to be kind to yourself, um, you know, rather than beating yourself up or berating yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think that actually that's probably the key to surviving a failure and learning from it is the ability to retain a sense of compassion towards yourself throughout the process. And what's been the kind of big change for you then from being like that way from as a young person to now, like being so self-aware about that like do you think it's therapy or just actually saying yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I do think it's therapy I'm sorry yeah. like years and years like of uh, very expensive therapy um but which is totally worth it um I suppose as well it's probably a bit of age um mm. uh, you know just I think that that plays a, a part in it as well and I also think that like I don't know I suppose it's when you have something or something happens that maybe you would have deemed as a failure you know, let's say getting a really bad review mm. and you realize that it really stings and you feel really hurt and angry and you want, you know, like fantasize about like meeting the reviewer and being like, how dare you? And then, you know, like kind of going, no, they're just doing their job and I need to take several seats. <laughs> but, and then you kind of forget about it and you just go back to the writing or, you know, whatever the work is and you realize, oh, that didn't, like that didn't fell me you know like that mm. didn't like destroy me I was able to sort of 
take that and think okay and and sort of move past it and and also be able to see the parts of it where you're like I actually disagree with that um or you know I, I don't think that's fair or maybe that is fair um and then I think for me it was just being like well actually I don't know if reading the reviews is helpful and yeah. actually that was useful in a way you know um mm. because um it made it made me refocus my attention on the work itself rather than how that work would be perceived um or like received I suppose once it went out into the world because again I suppose I began to understand that there was one part that I can control and the other one I couldn't so it was Mm. just better just to let that go well there's that extra layer as well like I mean everybody fails in their life but then I suppose if you're doing something that's kind of in the public eye like you're releasing books there's also that extra layer that everybody knows you know what I mean it's like everybody knows and you're like oh my god but I mean it shouldn't matter but there is that kind of fear because I I talk to my friends and like you know they're saying I've got a work review tomorrow and like I, I have to bite my tongue and go can you imagine if your work review was published in like the New York Times or you know whatever and like how would you feel and it's like it is very exposing um, mm. and I, you know I've seen and and to be fair most of the time I think people in the industry understand that like reviews are incredibly subjective and and if another person had been reviewing the same material that they would have might have had a very different reaction to it and the review itself would have been very different mm. um, and I think that also you know you have to remember that like your friends and your family like some of them will see it some of them won't see it um and most of the time people really don't care um I do think like I have seen you know certain reviews that have felt not not of my own work thank god um but that have been sort of almost performative um in its cruelty oh yes yeah yeah you know you'll you'll see reviews of of films or of of theater or 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 whatever or music or books where it feels like it's more about the the reviewers um themselves um and it can I think as an artist or you know as someone who puts work out into the world you accept that like okay there's going to be a certain amount of criticism but when it feels like it's a takedown of someone um which as I said thank god has not happened to me yet and I'm just like Oh God, because I, I think then you think when something goes viral or when someone every like, I think there must be an enormous amount of shame. Like I think, and, and a part of, I suppose, what those reviews, uh, they are almost takedowns. Like they're intended actually to create a lot of shame. Yeah. Um, so I, I really feel, I think, um, for the people at the center of that, because I think it must be really hard to sort of recover from that because it feels like almost like a public Oh, I don't know, like a public flogging of a sort. No, I totally get what you mean. I think I was speaking about this in another episode, but I think now in our society today, like there's this thing of, I think people like love takedowns. I think the more emotionally healthy you are, the more willing you probably are to sort of protect yourself as much as you can. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I, because I know even talking to friends who are like, oh, I read an Amazon review or I read a good read. And I'm like, I just do not go near any, like I don't read Amazon reviews. I don't read good re- read reviews. I don't search for my name on Google. I don't search for my name on Twitter. I'm like, I do not need to see, you know, what people think about me or think about my work because I suppose it's the same way that like the fear of failure, but also I think the way in which our brains work is in that we attach, like we, the, we retain, I suppose, 
the negative stuff so much more easily you know um, mm-hmm. and I remember someone emailing me or not uh, sending me a dm on twitter and being like you know this like this I don't know 40 page thread about you on like reddit um and they were like you know I really think you should be looking into legal action and she sent me a link and I just replied I didn't know very well and and I do think I really think her heart was in the right place like I do think she wasn't doing it to be malicious I think she was genuinely very concerned and I just text her message back and I said I do not want to look at this because I will never be able to sleep again like I was like I will wake up at 2 a.m in the morning like (laughs) three years from now and some I don't know something will be, like come to my mind of what, like what someone has said about me so I think it's like a level of I think trying to protect yourself um as best you can and ignorance is bliss sometimes it actually 100%, is 100% yeah mm. you have so much self-control to do that because I think a lot of people want to do that and they yeah. aspire not to look at their reviews or look at what people say at them, yeah. about them on Twitter but they don't really they don't like go back to their phone do you know what I mean that, that I, is... honestly, I, I genuinely think it's like a form of self-harm mm. I don't mean that to sound dramatic because like, I mean I suppose it's so much noise and I think if it's good and I remember my dad saying to me years ago he was like you know if you believe the good reviews you have to believe the bad reviews as well and if you believe the good things you have to believe you know so it was like he said it's just better to kind of yeah. choose a few select people like your editor or like you know whoever that you trust and sort of listening to them and and then kind of letting it go after that. And I think it's a bit like, you know, if you've ever broken up with someone and then you get into like a really obsessive phase of like looking at their Instagram and yeah. you feel so shit every time you do it, but it's almost, it's really addictive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same sort of loop with looking at um, reviews or searching for your name or like looking at whatever and you're, it hurts. Like if you see the bad things, like those things sting, mm. but it becomes quite like an addictive thing. So I think it's really just trying to just have sort of a, a like a, a like an, a, a zero tolerance policy on like, I'm just not going to go there. Um, yeah. I, I am quite strict with myself on it because I know that if I, if I slide a little bit, it'll be like that, you know, falling back into you're in like 2014 of like <laughs> Instagram posting, why am I doing this? <laughs> This is What Would You Do If? The podcast to answer all of your What Would You Do If? questions. It's Callum and Jess here, and every week we look at how we'd handle different situations. Before finding out what you should do if you're in them. So far we've looked at... What would you do if you saw someone stealing? A bear attacked you. The baby started choking. You were stuck in a lift. You can hear those episodes and loads more on headstuffpodcast.com with a new one every Monday. It must have been hard for you though as well after asking for it like we kind of came a little bit of a spokesperson the kind of like feminist spokesperson for a while you know like you were a contributor on a lot of different shows and stuff and um, did you find like there was a lot of like stuff coming against you back then like because you I mean, were standing up for what was yeah I important. mean so the book came out in 2015 and 2016 was a really intense year um and I suppose there was a lot of like I was there's probably a lot of exposure you know and I, I I made this documentary with RT about um rape culture and you know so and was so was, good oh thank you um, I got, and, uh, sorry I was just to say that like I remember a couple, me and a couple of friends we watched that and also read your book and like we had discussions about you know if we had seen something like this when we were in secondary school like so much would have been avoided you know so you have so many friends that have stories that are like Ooh, that's not right but like yeah. as a student in secondary school I mean I'm only 27 um 
like we never were told anything about consent like I don't think I heard the word consent until I was in like second year of college yeah which is just atrocious yeah absolutely atrocious and I think that like your documentary and your book helped so many young girls to kind of understand it a little bit more oh thank you and I mean yeah I mean I really appreciate that um and I think it it, it makes it worth it but I I think that I probably you know it's it's interesting I think if I had my time back I would have done it differently I think I would have been a bit more careful um of myself um you know I think that it was I I I there I did feel this sense of pressure and it was all like it was all self-inflicted of you know wanting to really wanting to make a difference and really wanting to contribute to this conversation and I think really also hoping because of I suppose what I had experienced and not wanting that you know for my cousins and for my friends and their children you know like a, a friend of mine um I think we were I'm trying to think whether maybe 28 when she had her first um daughter and and you know you look at this baby and they're so innocent and it's just this gripping fear of like oh god I really don't ever want anything to happen to this child you know mm. and 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 I suppose I, I just wanted to try and do my part as 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 much as I could and I think I probably pushed myself a bit too far and I or, or, and I don't know and I suppose a part of that was you know the the criticism and the trolling and and you know getting a lot of abuse and um and feeling very scared actually a lot of the time you know like I remember letters arriving to my family house and you know and being feeling really like intimidated and feeling almost like well, what's next? Like, is someone going to come to a reading and, you know, attack me? You know, and it's so, like, your mind just completely runs away with itself. Because obviously now I'm like, that would never have happened. You know, I was completely blowing it out of proportion. But I think at the time, everything feels really intense. Mm. And I think, you know, I've I've come off Twitter since my partner um, is in charge of my Twitter account. Um, And it has made such a huge difference to my mental health. Um, and uh, actually it was interesting because I think when I did come off it I almost felt like I had failed you know I felt like that I was allowing these people to silence me or I was allowing you know them to take my voice but actually I think it wasn't failing because I was prioritizing my own mental health and my own well-being Um, and also I think prioritizing the fact that I was a writer um, and that I wanted to tell stories. And even though those stories tend to sometimes have a political focus or sometimes have, I suppose, that I'm talking about, you know, issues that impact women or women's lives, you know, but at the at the core of it, like, it's still just a story. And I'm like, I want it to be a good story and I want it to be a mm. compelling story and I want it to be well told. Um, so I think it was really just coming back to that and just coming back to allowing myself just to be a storyteller and not to be a voice if that makes sense yeah shall we move on to the next question yes I'm so sorry I I can be so long-winded you're like no that's great and I'm like we're never gonna get (laughs) get three yeah exactly um okay 10 I think number 10 10. this is a very fun way of doing this by the way I love it the format keeps it interesting um so 10 this is a fun question actually we'll fly through this one what movie won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2020? Oh, oh uh, Parasite. 
Hey! Hey! I love it. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Those questions always really annoy me in quest in quizzes because, like, I love film and I always watch the Oscars, but then it always comes up and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And also, 2020, I was like, were the Oscars on? And I was like, yes, they were before. Yeah. Like the world fell apart. They were on. Yeah, they probably won't be on this year. Anyways, next um, number. What would you like? Um, number eleven. Number eleven. Have you any past failure that you look back on now and say, thank fuck that didn't work out? Yes. Um, okay, so when I was 25, um, I moved to New York um, to work as a, um, an intern for the, um, the style director of Elle magazine. Now, as you can see in my running year, I'm extremely glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> but back then I was much more glamorous. That is well. very like we're, that is real like, you know, Irish girl goes yeah. to New York. Wow. L magazine. Really funny when I said I was first writing the book because I think everyone was like, oh, the devil wears pro I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not writing um, an expose of the of the fashion industry. And um, yeah, so I moved to New York um, and I was working um at L. And Oh God, it's so funny because it was just, it was sort of a dream job, you know, um, mm. and I felt really, I was lucky to have it. But as soon, I remember the very first day that I started working there, I think I realized like very early on, I was like, I just, this isn't for me. Um, and a lot of people have asked like, you know, why is that? And I think, I mean, obviously the fact that I had I had a pretty major relapse of anorexia while I was there. And like, so clearly, you know, there was issues in the industry itself that mm. for me were, were triggering. Um, but actually, I think what I realized on that very first day was, I don't think I'm going to be good at this. And actually, that was, again, I suppose, the fear of failure and the fear of not being good enough. And I suppose also like just knowing that I was going to have to work really 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 hard to be okay at something mm. and like I think I, I I'm not afraid of hard work and like if I thought I had to work really 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 hard to be brilliant at something I'd be like fuck it let's work as hard as I can but I think it was just like this isn't a natural fit for me I'm not because actually I was like I loved clothes and I was really into like I just I suppose for me that was such a, a an artistic expression and I loved the styling and I loved all of that. But actually, it was so much of the work is very, like, you know, attention to detail and, and being incredibly organized um, and having like an, a capacity for working very, very long hours, which I definitely do not possess. Um, <laughs> I just get really tired. And I'm like, even at 25, I was like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted constantly. <laughs> um, so I the hours that, like crazy. I can only they imagine. Were, they were like, I remember the first day we I worked I suppose it was maybe I think it was 15 hours and um they we did like I, I remember asking them at one point like do we get a lunch break and she was like I mean sometimes I eat a sandwich at my desk and I was like, oh, oh my god, god. it was just very intense <laughs> but like they were lovely and everyone was really nice and I made amazing friends um but I think it just and I worked so hard and I just what was still... your actual job sorry okay mind. so let's say like it's, it's kind of hard to explain so like let's say um the stylist has said okay I am doing I want to do the shoot in Mexico and and these are the looks that I want so from uh Dolce I want look 15 I want the earrings I want the shoes I want the dress 
from Fendi and from Look 30. I want the hat. I want the um, I want the shirt. I want the headscarf. I want the whatever. So they might have, oh God, like there'd be hundreds of items that they want. So then you have to request them from the PR at the fashion house and then you have to organize like the person to pick them up um, and then you have to sign them in. You have to photograph all the pieces when they come in and then you have to sort of UPS them like to the shoot. You have to organize all that and then you have to like, so it's just, and then the stuff comes back from the shoot and it's probably very different now because I'd say the budgets and magazines are much smaller, but like, you know, so let's say it's come back from the shoot in Miami and it's like, you know, you're like, okay, I have Dolce, look 15. I have one I have one of the pair of earrings. Where's the other earring? So then you're looking. So it's like a needle in the head. It was just like, I remember in the interview, they were like, do you have a, like, what's your attention to detail? Like, and I was like, oh yeah, it's really good. And in my head, I was like, not great. It'll be fine. Go, through. And I was just, it's funny. My sister is a primary school teacher and she, uh, who like, not that she has no interest in clothes, but like, I would have always been much more drawn to fashion and she would have been much better at that job than I am because she's so organized. <laughs> mm. so it was just this kind of like, I just felt, so it was just constantly like working to be really focused and really organized and really like great attention to detail and, um, and kind of getting like maybe 80%. And I remember the woman that I worked for, um, well, there was two, like the main um, editor who was amazing and her assistant um, was wonderful, but quite, you know, she was pretty tough on me. And I remember the last day she took me out for lunch and she was like, you know, I'm really proud of sort of the progress that you've made. I was just like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I just can't do this. And uh, they were really kind and they were like, you know, where they were trying to help me like find um, other work in the industry, you know, and like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go home and then I'll come back. And as soon as I came home, my boyfriend had broken, my boyfriend at the time had broken up with me. And I remember just going back and I really felt like, I have failed you know I like the this isn't this career is not going to work because I don't have the natural aptitude aptitude to be as successful as I want but also I think to be for me I think to have a job like obviously there's days where it's challenging and you're like oh god I feel like I'm I'm, like I'm never going to get this but I think for me to feel like I don't know, like a sense of satisfaction with my work. I have to feel like I'm succeeding in some way or that it's it's a natural fit for me or that I mm. feel like, you know, that I don't know, that I that I can do it. Whereas I was like, okay, I can't do this job because every single day I will feel like I'm terrible at this and mm. I won't be, you know, I'll just feel like a failure constantly. And like, I think that a certain amount of failure is healthy, but I think feeling like a failure every single day of your life is probably not to like good mental health <laughs> yes. so I come, I'd come home and I moved back in with my parents I was 26 um I moved back in with my parents I had like 50 dollars in my bank account my boyfriend had broken up with me and I just felt like everything had kind of gone wrong and I was seeing all of my friends who were like you know really progressing and like in their careers and were you know making good money and I hadn't like hadn't got a bean you know and mm. and, and I just I felt like such a failure and I think because I felt like oh sure I've it's I just was like well look I may as well do what I actually want to do which is write a book because sure like I have failed now and I don't have like what else have I got to do I was like this is the perfect opportunity to take a year 
because I think up until that point, you know, I had done my undergrad and then I did a, I had done a postgrad and then I had moved to New York. And so I think it was the first time where I was like, I actually, this is the Hi. Hi, I'm so sorry. Hi. Do you know what I realized is that my, I didn't have the, I didn't have the plug turned on. I was like, what has happened? And I was like, oh no, sorry. I'm Raising really sorry the failure it. team, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told you my attention to detail, not good, Emma Jane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Good. Anyways, you're saying so. I may as well write a book as we all do. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I just thought, well, uh, sorry, I'll just give a little bit of a, a rewind for that. And yeah, Dude. so I, yeah, so I suppose I had come home from New York um, and I just felt like, well, I don't have any money. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a job. Um, and I think I was like, wow, I've really, I have really failed. And and also I think that I had sort of mapped out my life in that I was like, okay, this is the person I'm going to be with. And this is the job I'm going to have. And this is the life I'm going to have. And then all of a sudden it kind of fell apart. Mm. Um, and actually it was such a blessing because it really made me stop and say, but what life do I actually want to have? Mm. Like not what, not the life that I think other people expect me to have or the life that I think other people will be jealous of or other people will be impressed by, but yeah. actually the life that I want to have for myself. Hmm. Um, and I think I was like, well, I just, I really want to write this book. You know, I'd had the idea for only every yours when I was in New York and I just had never seemed to find the time. So I thought, well, I'm just going to try now. And it was funny because I had wanted to write for so long and it was, I couldn't, I couldn't even start because every time I sat down at the computer, I felt so afraid of failing. You know, it was like, what if I try to do this and the book is terrible and I don't get published and every editor or every agent or, you know, like rejects it. And then I have to be confronted with the fact that I'm not good at this. Mm. It's something that I secretly really want to do and that I think I will be good at or I should be good at, like, what will happen if I'm not, you know, what will happen if I fail? Yeah. And you see, the problem is with any kind of creativity is that, like, I think it's Julia Cameron says, perfectionism is the enemy of creativity. Yeah. And it's so true because you have to be prepared. And you'll know this as an actress, like you, you have to be prepared to look stupid. You have to be prepared to take that risk and to feel a little bit scared or a little bit out of your depth um, and to kind of, keep pushing through it um so it was such for something that I was just thought was sort of the end of the world it was such a blessing because it actually just gave me the freedom to do what I really wanted to do um, and did you like sit down and write. did you did you do like any course to like tell you how to write a book or like did you just went for a kind like wow I've never I I, I always feel like <laughs> guilty about this because I have never I've never taken um any sort of creative writing uh like it's funny because you know I, I I applied to a couple and I then I just was like you know I think I would be looking at it and like the thought of being in again the fear of failure like I think it was the thought of being in an environment let's say if I had done a master's in creative writing where that you would be workshopping each other's work and where you would have to sit 
while a group of your peers critiqued your work felt so terrifying to me like I it was again this sort of like primal fear of like I will I won't survive it like I just won't um and yeah. of course you know now I'm like that's ridiculous like you would of course I would survive it you know yeah um but again I think it just felt so, just unbearable um and uh yeah so I, I never took uh I've never done any sort of um writing course but I think the thing is is that it's a little bit like you know I, I suppose I've read I just have read so many books you know I, I just I've always loved books my mother was an English teacher you know there was just so many books in my house my sister is a voracious reader just read 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 mm. and, and I think that and you know then I went I obviously I studied English at, at college so you know you're you're dissecting books and you're talking about like the structure of novels and um, and I was looking at them from from that angle so actually when I sat down to write like I felt like I had an innate understanding of how a, how a book is is structured like I would presume mm. you know like if you like I'm not very because I don't watch a lot of I'm really bad I'm trying to get better but I don't watch as much tv or film as I as I should because it's such good like some of the best storytelling today is, mm. is I watch too media. much <laughs> no okay well together we would be an incredibly We'd be a good person, balance. you know you yeah <laughs> we could just combine um, our, our skills um but um Yes, I think that like you, I suppose if you if you're a scriptwriter, you you recognize the beats of like mm. oh this if this has happened, this is what's going to happen next because there's like a certain story arc that I suppose most things follow. So I think because of having read so much, um, I had I think an understanding of just I don't I don't know I, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Um, but you know, and I, I know I know a lot of people who who teach creative writing, um, and I think they always say that you 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 can't really teach it. I suppose that you can only help coax out someone's talent and actually I think the best things about or the best thing probably about um courses like that is not necessarily being taught how to write but actually more of the structure because for so many authors I think it's it's because you have to be so self-disciplined um you know it's not like it was when you're doing a play or you know a, a film like they're like this is the audit or this is the audition this is the rehearsal you have to be here for you know whereas you you're very it's very much self-directed I suppose yeah authors. I think for a lot of people it's it's needing to be I suppose the the accountability maybe of having uh, uh the structure of um of a of, of a class yeah and with your with any like your interest in acting and obviously that you're a writer have you ever thought about maybe ever writing a script in the future or I have I have and it's funny because you know what it, like after the silence could be a tv series like like I'm saying like <laughs> well, HBO yeah, I can't I can't say anything but there's I mean you know tv is so slow like I think that's the good thing about writing as well is that like I can sit down and I know that in six months I'm gonna have um a a, a book whereas yeah. like a few of them have been in in um development and it just takes forever oh like, like could oh be 10 years yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm just like I think at the beginning I was getting really excited and now I'm like okay I'm just going to be a bit more um a bit more patient uh, with mm. it but I would love to write a play and I have an idea for a tv series but I just need to I just need to find the, the, like everyone I'm like I just need to find the time because um, <laughs> I'm working on a new book so I'm like anyway but uh yeah so I knew I would love it and actually what is quite interesting is that like I can really see how like I think acting and writing are really similar in that like mm. you 
you're trying to understand someone else's like a, a person who's completely different to you and you're trying to find a way in to inhabit that person or to understand that person to like create their world um, and to kind of bring them to life yeah. and so I can sort of see I think the similarities um uh, between the two and actually it's funny and again I suppose that nothing you know that idea of like that even our failures really help us because like it's I have found because of the background that I have had um in drama particularly I suppose in in, in theatre that I am so comfortable with public speaking I am so comfortable with the publicity side of things um when it comes to my career which isn't actually maybe the most comfortable for a lot of other writers yeah. because it's quite a solitary job and for a lot of you know they're they're much more introverted mm-hmm. um whereas I think I have had that experience of sort of putting on a persona almost and going on stage mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're me, so articulate I can actually like listen oh to God, you, I'm, you I'm are. long-winded Emma Jane I'm very long-winded no you're so articulate uh, I love it <laughs> thank you thank you but uh, yes I think I've really seen I suppose that even something that I was like oh I failed at that you know that now I can see no actually because one as I said it's, it's really helped um in the almost you know, like if you're, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm doing an event in front of a thousand people or whatever, you know, some of them are are, are big, and you're mm. like, well, it's actually I can, I can, I know how to do that. Yeah. Um, and also, I think even, you know, a lot of the feedback that I have gotten from my books is like, oh, the dialogue is really strong, and I'm like, well, that is purely from theatre. Like that is just from like having that ear for sort of the cadence of language yeah. and, and the flow of how of how 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 that's how you want that to hear. Yeah. Um, so I think that something I suppose that could be looked at as a failure actually really helped me in the long run mm, yeah Louise thank you so much I'm going to finish there but this I could I'm, I'm going to let chat forever your questions I'm so sorry <laughs> Like, will I ask more questions? But I'm like, I probably should try and keep it within an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm so, I'm honestly, I'm terrible. No, I like, Which is why podcasts suit me because sometimes when I'm on a radio interview, I'm like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> keep it tight. I could chat to you all day and honestly it's just been so great to meet you because as I said like I just love your books and oh, honestly like you. me and my, my friends when I told them I was like talking to you they're like oh my god I love her <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you I hope that I hope that you'll have not kind things to report back to them you'll be like she was that bitch <laughs> <laughs> not at all absolutely fabulous I really enjoyed chatting to you thank you so so oh. much Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fail Harder. I really hope you enjoyed it. It'd be so helpful if you could spread the word by sharing it on social media, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, tell your friends. One or all of those things are just so, so helpful. Thank you so much.